So tonight, I'm going to talk to you about the Hall of Fame, because each one of you has a place in it. However, you don't automatically live there. It's not given to you. You have to learn to wear the robe, the ring, the sandals. For some of you ladies, that's stilettos. I get that. And you've got to be willing to party. So let me read you a part of Hebrews 11. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, and before we start, I just wanted to uh, express to Coleman, can you come up wherever you are? I just wanted to express my appreciation for the things that you've done in our ministry this year and give you a shirt that's free. There's a few thoughts I had about that. So thank you. You can put that on. All right. Um, I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 11. And you don't have to necessarily read along on that. Um, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father. This is the Hall of Fame chapter in the Bible. So I want you to listen up. You'll figure out how to, how to actually live in the Hall of Fame. He was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better company, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received a promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. You guys, sometimes you have to actually stop reading the Bible like, okay, i got to get through my chapter. Think about this. He has one son. He was old, old, old when he had that one. So it was miraculous that he had him, and he's getting ready to sacrifice him. Um, what are you doing? Put that, put that back on. <laughs> Don't be dumb. Um, let's see. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. 
By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because he saw they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as their son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of heaven, of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea, as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was... What? Put the shirt on. Put the shirt on. By faith, the prostitute Rahab because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? For I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. And it goes on in verse 39. It says they were all commended for their faith. Don't you want to be one of those people? All right, so that's the truth. That's what God saw. I'd like to go back through some of these verses and share a couple of facts. So let's start with verse 8. By faith, Abraham, and just listen to this man. So amazing. When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed. And went. Even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Don't you just admire that? Think about that. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. How many of you are looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God? Let me share a couple of facts. Abraham lied repeatedly. In Genesis 12, 10 through 13, and again in Genesis 20, 1 through 18. So he lied for 18 verses. And the second time, when his sin became public knowledge, he blamed God for the trip he was on. 
He did. So Hebrews says, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went. And when I read that, I was like, wow, I want to be like that. And then when I read verse in Genesis 21 through 18, he said, I was called by God to wander. Because what he did, he actually asked Sarah, this, this is what he said to her in verse 13. Ladies, how would you feel about your husband if this is the kind of character he has? He said to her, this is how you can show your love for me. How many of you have heard that line? Anytime, ladies and gentlemen, anyone tells you that, just ask them to take you home. Because whatever comes after that is never good. He says to Sarah, his wife, this is how you can show your love for me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. That would make you really feel close to your husband, wouldn't it? It's so easy to love somebody you respect. Wouldn't that make you feel just really madly in love with your husband if you're Sarah? No. If any of you ladies said yes, see me after this. <laughs> he blamed God. He said, he caused me to wander. There is no place in the Bible that wandering ever has a positive connotation. So he gets busted for lying, and then he blames it on God. Let's go to verse 11. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, this is from Hebrews, the Hall of Fame, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as did, that's Abraham, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Doesn't that sound romantic? You know what it means when it says that, so from this one man and he as good as dead, do you ever look at, like, my father is 82. And I'm really glad at this moment that he's not tech savvy. And he's single. Because my mother went home to be with the Lord, and then um, the woman who was married to him after that, she also went home to be with the Lord. Both great women. My dad has a girlfriend. You think at age 82, it's like, you know, I mean, they're just, comes an age where you're not interested in sex anymore. I got news for you. I could tell a story. <laughs> I'm going to tell a story. So how many of you know Dr. Tar? Dr. Tar, I think he's 70 something tall, white hair, and his wife, Dolly, is about this tall. He's like that. Amazing couple. And he's a man who I look to as a spiritual father. I had him come and speak at Brigade. Thanks, whoever brought this. I had him come and speak at Brigade. He is a riot. We're going to have him come back and speak here. And so they're sitting in chairs. Were any of you there that night when they came and spoke? Raise your hands. Yes. And he goes, um, he goes, you guys probably think that someone as old as Dolly and I, we're just no longer interested in sex. 
and the whole room goes like deathly quiet. Nobody even knows what to say. And uh, I think it was Dolly who leans over and pats him on the knee, and she looks up and grins at him, and she goes, everything works just fine, doesn't it, honey? <laughs> and at first, the whole group was like, what? And then I burst out laughing, as you might suspect I would, and the whole room just busted up. Sarah was kind of like a woman of that age could be. Genesis 18, 12, this is the real story. Sarah heard that she was going to have a baby. Genesis 18, 12. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And what I thought was hilarious was Sarah laughs because women think more logically than men sometimes about sex because they're the ones who have to have a kid. But in my mind, I was like, I bet Abraham, I mean, he might have had a lot of times that he had a hard time obeying God, but that was probably one time he was like, Sarah, you heard what God said, come on. (laughs) Sure enough, they had a baby. But in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame, you don't hear anything about Sarah laughing at God, do you? No, it just says, Sarah was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. That's the truth according to God. Uh, Verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Go sit down with that shirt. If you bring that up here again, I'm going to pop you. He lives with me. I wouldn't treat the rest of you that way. Well, not most of you. The real story, it says, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And that is the coolest sentence. A father blesses his kids. Let me tell you about Jacob. They were twins. Jacob was, his name means supplanter, which means you take something that's not yours. And that's exactly what he did. It says Isaac blessed Jacob, but let me tell you how sweet that went down. Esau was a man's man, and Jacob was not. And Esau was kind of a hairy guy, and Jacob was smooth. So Jacob wanted the blessing. So he goes out, kills some animals, puts the hairy stuff on him. Isaac, bless his heart, he might have had the father's blessing, but he was blind. And so whenever... He gets approached by Jacob. He's like, oh, and he gives the father's blessing to the wrong dude. That's not what it says there, though, is it? Verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. And, you know, you read that, and you're like, wow, Joseph. Let me tell you about Joseph. Joseph had these dreams. How many of you know people who have dreams and spiritual dreams? Well, Joseph had one. And in his dream, his, 
his, all, his brothers, all his brothers bowed down to him, and so did his mom and dad. It's always good if you get a spiritual dream like that to have a tad of humility, of which he had none. In fact, he ticked them off so bad, it says his brothers hated him even more. And his father was like, you're saying your mother and I are going to bow down to you? And he was like, yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah. Um, in fact, his brothers sold him. He became a slave. As a slave, he rose to leadership in a home. His boss's wife wanted him sexually, and he refused her. She made a false accusation, so he went from being a slave to a convict. So he went to prison. But he ended up running the prison. Do you see anything? I mean, bad things happen. He ends up running the prison. And so then he interprets a dream. And the guy promises not to forget him. And this dude was kind of like some of us. I said I'd do it, but two years later, he'd still forgotten the guy. He'd still forgotten that Joseph gave him a dream interpretation. He was a slave or a convict for 10 years before they finally showed up in Egypt. But they did end up bowing to him. Every one of them. By faith, Moses, verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The truth is, in Exodus 2, 1 through 4, Moses' mother, Jochebed, abandoned him in a basket and set him in the river. What would you think? Tracy has a son. What if you heard, you know, she's not here with him. So someone goes, well, where's Shane? Oh, today I just felt like I was, the Lord told me to put him in a basket and take him down the Sacramento River. <laughs> and I'm not sure where he's at. You'd admire her a lot, wouldn't you? Verse 23 tells you the truth according to the Hall of Fame. Exodus 2, 1 through 4, it gives you some facts that don't look so great. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he is the grandson of Pharaoh. Doesn't that make him sound like, I like guys who have character. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I like that too. And he goes on to say a bunch of other things. Oh, amazing stuff. Uh, let me read Exodus 2, 11 through 14. This is how he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Wow. Uh, I don't know. That kind of sounds like an integrity issue to me. A few anger problems. Um... 
I actually do have friends who've killed people. Um, but I don't typically look for that in my friends. Uh, wow, so he that's how you refuse to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then, even more amazing, um, he ran. I like that part, too. Don't you just love it whenever there's a, a conflict, you know, or something really comes up and you see somebody run from it? That always makes me respect people, too. Right? And then he spent 40 years in the wilderness after that developing a relationship with God. And at the end of that 40 years with God and getting really close to him, God said, Moses, I have a really awesome job for you. And Moses was like, uh, no thanks. And God had a burning bush. What would you think? Like, you go home tonight, and that evergreen bush to the right of your front door is on fire. And you're like, whoa. And you walk up next to it, and you hear the voice of God. And it says, Christian. It is I, God. What are you going to do? <laughs> and so God speaks to him through a bush. That's a pretty amazing miracle. And he goes, no, no thanks. I actually stutter a lot, so I don't know if you ever noticed, but I can't talk. Those are facts. But you don't read about that in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame. Verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. I like that. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. I like that. If you watch the movies I watch, there's a bunch of really tough people, and they just walk across that thing. That water could be like 60 feet tall, and I'm not afraid of that. I go right between it. So in Exodus 14, 11, and 12, right after this experience, like almost immediately, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Don't you just hate the sound of my voice? Any of you know people who talk like that? Like they're everybody's victim? Born to be a martyr? They sound like amazing people, don't they? But you don't read about that in the Hall of Fame. Verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. And that sounds pretty good. Go sit down and take the shirt. That sounds pretty good. Go sit down. Have you ever thought about how stupid the Israelites looked walking around Jericho? I mean, I like a good battle. I like action. So it's like, hey, Jericho, that place they say can't be busted into, we're taking it. We're like, we're looking for a few good men and women. Kind of like the Marines. 
You're like, count me in. So everybody shows up. You're like, what's the plan? We're going to walk around Jericho like seven times for a couple of days. Because if you're giving that plan as your battle strategy, you don't want to tell them that you're going to do it for a week. (laughs) Yeah. Stupid. Verse 31. By faith, and I, I love it. This is the only one. By faith, this is the Hall of Fame, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Wait. Wouldn't she be the one who was disobedient? Because the word says she's a prostitute. I don't remember the last time that those people are really like on the front lines or teaching Sunday school about obedience. I think God put that there. She's the only one in the Hall of Fame that he put that word in front of her name. Because I think he was getting to verse 31. He wanted to make sure we got the point. Which is innate about the facts. It's about how he sees things. Verse 32, that first half of it says they were all commended for their faith. And the Holy Spirit showed me this when he started showing me what he wants me to do this year. And I felt really unqualified. And uh, you need to realize, you guys, when God starts showing you what you were born for, because if what you think you were born for is small, you don't get it yet. Because every single one of us was designed and created skillfully for a very specific reason. And when you have the courage to start stepping up to whatever that reason is, the Holy Spirit will, not the Holy Spirit, the enemy will attack you through your integrity. Let me tell you how he does that with me. He reminds me of my past. And for those of us who do have a lot of integrity, and that's actually most of us in the room, then we're like, oh, that's right. You know what? I should actually step aside. Because if you know everything I've said and done, I can't take the microphone. There's got to be somebody in the room who can do it, though. Every single time that you really begin to get a sense of this is what I was created for. This is what God wants me to do. Because you see the prodigal son, we, we hear that story, but I don't think that we realize that he was a son when he left his father. So what happens to us, we come to God and we make, we walk the aisle. And rarely at the front of any church do people go, do you understand that you're stepping into battle? Do you understand that there's a spiritual battle? Do you understand that there's warfare? 
Nobody ever says that stuff. So then we walk the aisle, we make a commitment, and then at the end of making that commitment, somewhere down the road, we make a mistake. We make a choice that we know doesn't honor the Lord. And we don't realize that God is looking at you as you're supposed to be in the Hall of Fame. And we want to go back to the Old Testament and pay attention to all the mistakes we made. And your enemy is very, very sure to remind you of that. Whenever the father and the prodigal son saw his son coming from a long way off, he ran. And you think that's emotion, but it's not. Because when you say to your father, I want my inheritance in the Jewish culture, you're saying, I wish you were dead. So you're completely dishonoring your father, which means you are stonable. They, they have every right to stone you. When the father saw his son, he ran to his son to get the robe on him, to get the ring on him, to get the sandals on him, because he wanted to make the statement in front of everybody. This is my son. Do not touch my son. And for a lot of us, God has powerful things for you to do this year. You have to look at yourself the way he looks at you. He's not looking at what you did last year. He's not looking at the New Year's party. He's not looking at the gossip that you spread. He's not, I mean, I could go down the list. He's not looking at any of that. Because when you put that under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth who came in the flesh, it disappears from his sight. And Christians and the enemy many times want you to think that that's not powerful enough to cover it. And when you have a lot of integrity, you feel like, I need to do something to make up for this. Or, okay, I'll pray the prayer, and I'll put it under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth who came in the flesh. But I'm still going to kind of sit back and let the real Christians who have their act together and haven't ever done the things I've done, I'm going to let them do the real work. And that's not how the family of God operates because it's not true. Rick Cole was my pastor in, in Omaha, Nebraska. And in 1994, he made a statement I will never forget because I had an addiction that I could not, I felt like I could not break. And he said, when you walk in addiction, no, when you sin in addiction, but you walk in repentance, the next time you sin is the first time in God's sight. It's so key that you get that. It doesn't matter. We've seen so many people being, who have been set free of addictions or who are being set free of addictions. There's nothing that can come against you that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth cannot break. And so this year, 
last year you sat and listened and I wanted you to have an experience. I was laughing. It was like last year I didn't have, last week I didn't have any verses. This week I had a lot because I wanted you to get a real sermon. But every time you go to church, it's not a real sermon if you don't experience interaction with the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to encourage you, if you sat in a pigsty last year, or you have a memory or memories of things that you wish you could forget, do something more powerful. Disagree with the lie that came out of that. And absolutely refuse to consider it. Believe the word of God that says that every sin you commit, if you put it under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth who came in the flesh, he absolutely forgives you and loves you. Agree with his way of thinking. Build relationship with him, with others, and with yourself. And that's not going to happen even sitting here tonight. Guys, this year, you got to start owning your transformation because it is your responsibility respectfully said. You need to start going to DNA, which is at my house. And by the way, last week, the, all those questions that I read and that you considered, Saul and Shadi, who are going to be leading DNA this year, they came up with those questions. Go to the men's Bible study. Some of you have talked about, I need a mentor. Go. That's like three to five leaders who have very solid relationships with God. Go to the women's Bible study. Go to the worship nights. Just go. Just build a relationship. Because if you'll build a relationship with other people, your relationship to, with God will go no deeper than what you're experiencing with other people. Because you do the same thing relationally with him you do with them. You just don't have to admit it because you can't see their eyes. You can't see his eyes. Does that make sense? Build it. And most of all, you... <laughs> Was that Addy? <laughs> I always love honest feedback. <laughs> Sarah, was that yours? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Most of all, build your relationship with yourself. People who don't know the Lord and who don't know themselves as a son or a daughter have no confidence whatsoever. They're insecure people. Like, watch people. They have to prove how powerful they are. They're so nasty. They look down on people. That doesn't come from strength. That comes from brokenness. I used to act like that. I used to be sarcastic and mean, my mouth never, I gave nobody the time of day. Why? Because I was insecure and broken. So this is the year we're going to see some awesome things take place. Some exciting things take place. I just want to encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit, where are you supposed to be? What do you want to learn? If you're new here and you don't really know who to talk to, come and ask me. I can send you in different directions because I know 
a lot of the people in our ministry. There are also, though, when I stand here and I look at all your faces, and I love being this close because I can see your faces, there's so many people I actually don't know. There's a bunch of you I don't even know your names. That's exciting to me. It really is. I always say if you can go to a church where your stuff can't be stolen, you're going to the wrong church. And if you're going to a church that's so small then stays so small that nobody knows anybody, I mean, everybody knows each other, you're going to the wrong church too. So this year, have courage. We're going to be giving you some more information on how to get involved in some of the small groups. Um, we've got a bunch of exciting plans. Have the courage this year. Own your life. Own it. It's your responsibility. It's going to be exactly what you choose for it to be, dark or light. Choose light. Um, I wanted to close with a, a testimony. And it's a testimony about Oaks and Narcissian, who can't be here tonight. But he uh, told me that I can give his testimony. About two, two, little over two years ago now, um, the Lord actually spoke to me about him as a person who told me that I was supposed to uh, disciple him. And so I followed through on that, and I started going to, he and I would go to coffee or lunch or whatever and talk, and Oakson would let it go so far but he would never really commit to the discipleship process. He liked me, and he was a great guy to hang out with, but that was as far as it would go. And he would say all the right things, but there was just, he just didn't meet me halfway. And so after about two years, I am, I, I am a diehard, but after about two years, I got, I got pretty, like, tired <laughs> and pretty... Um, uh, I just I just wasn't feeling good. It was like, hey, I need to respect this man's choices. So I just backed up. I was like, all right, I, I can deal with that. And um, I still saw him and enjoyed being with him, but I just didn't continue to give that level of focus because there wasn't, he didn't meet me halfway. Um, and then about, I don't know, I think it was, September, October-ish. Um, and we, I still would see him occasionally, but he calls me. And Oakson, in case you can't tell, he's a big guy. Um, he's a muscle. And he had sounded like I had never heard him sound. He just was so unsure. And um, he came over to my house, and whenever he, he uh, we went into a room, and he started sharing what was going on he started crying and I had never seen that and he was really really confused and so I prayed with him and I said I'm really sorry for what you're going through um, and it seemed to help a little bit and he left but the next day he called me again and it was much worse so he came over and he parked in front of my house and I went out because he was in no shape to come in and um, he began to share what was going on. And I've never said this to anybody, but I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to say to him, and I said, you have to enter into the covenant that I've been offering you for two years for me to have any authority in your life to truly speak 
life over you and to break what the enemy was trying to do in his life. Because how many of you know the enemy attacks your mind? That's who he is. He'll attack other things, but it's all about what you come into agreement with. And he was so desperate, he goes, he sits there for a little bit, and he goes, okay, I will. And I'm like, okay, you will what? I said, you got to say the whole thing. It has to come out of your mouth. Say it. And he goes, okay, I will enter into the covenant that you're asking me to. And I go, awesome. And I put my hand on him and started praying. It was really powerful, but it didn't immediately solve everything. And I was a little shaken then. I was like, wait, God, uh, you're the one who told me, kind of like, you know, Moses, you're the one who told me to wander. I was like, hey, God, uh, you told me to say that. And then I thought I'd lay hands on it and be all, and God didn't say anything. I was like, okay. I've kind of learned through these. I'm a bit of a slow learner, but I have learned when God doesn't talk, don't ask any more questions because you're being stupid sometimes. So I was just, you know, the next day I prayed for him again, and um, nothing changed. I was like, wow, <laughs> maybe I don't have any authority. I'm, you know. But then I was like, nope, I know what I heard God say. The third day, he began to have breakthrough. And it was not immediate. I was hoping it would be. I thought, because I had prayed for other people, and they would have an immediate breakthrough. But that's not what the Lord gave him. The Lord gave him this much, this much, this much, this much, this much, this much, this much. It came slowly. But I want to tell you guys, God gave him the most powerful breakthrough. And the, the attack against him completely stopped. And he actually began to experience power in his life in areas that he had never, because Oakson has pretty much always served the Lord. He's never been like out in the streets. A lot of his inner things that he struggled with were just inner things. But God began to give him breakthrough that has been amazing to watch. That's his fiance, Esther. I love her. She's an amazing woman. And I just want to encourage you, enter into the covenant that God is offering you. This year, your life can change completely. But you have to meet him halfway. There's no magical wand to fix it. You have to meet him. But I promise you, God is no man's debtor. And if you will meet him halfway, you'll be amazed at what God will do in your life. So if you'll stand tonight and if the worship band can go up. Um, I, we just want to pray for you. If there's anything that we can. Um, many of you have things. Um, and before we go any further, I meant to do this at the beginning. But I want to break off every lie, every word curse, oh, every accusation, every assignment, every ritual, everything that the enemy wants to bring against you, I break it off in the name of Jesus. And I speak life over you. 
you have a destiny that is secure, that's powerful. I speak hope over you. I paralyze everything that would want to speak anything to you but what the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth wants to speak. And so I ask you, because it's a challenge to keep your robe on sometimes. It's a challenge to keep your ring on. I ask you, what's the area that the enemy always wants to remind you of and tell you you have no robe that can cover that? Whatever that area is, I ask you to put that under the blood of Jesus. And to let God begin to teach you who you are as a son because you are a son and you are a daughter. So as we spend time worshiping, if our prayer team can go to the front, we would love to pray for you in any way that we can minister. We bless you. I know some of you may need to leave. Feel free to do that. We bless you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.